Section three of the Romans of Emami and Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romans of Emami and Egypt by Theophile Gautier. Translated by F. C. de Sumicrust. The Romans of the Mummy, Prologue, Part Two. While this conversation was going on, the workmen, urged by Argyropoulos, proceeded to lift the great stone slab which filled up the orifice of the passage. As they cleared away the slab in order to pass their crowbars under it, for Lord Evandale had ordered that nothing should be broken, they turned up in the sand innumerable small statuettes, a few inches in height, of blue and green enameled ware, of admirable workmanship. Tiny funeral statuettes, deposited there as offerings by parents and friends, just as we place flowers on the thresholds of our funeral chapels. Only our flowers wither, while, after more than three thousand years, these witnesses of long bygone griefs are found intact, for Egypt worked for eternity only. When the door was lifted away, giving for the first time in thirty-five centuries entrance to the light of day, a puff of hot air escaped from the sombre opening as from the mouth of a furnace. The light, striking the entrance of the funeral passage, brought out brilliantly the colouring of the hieroglyphs engraved upon the walls in perpendicular lines upon a blue plinth. A reddish figure with a hawk's head, crowned with a pshent, the double crown of Upper and Lower Egypt, bore a disc containing a winged globe and seemed to watch on the threshold of the tomb. Some fellachs lighted torches and preceded the two travellers, who were accompanied by Argyropoulos. The resinous flame burned with difficulty in the dense, stifling air, which had been concentrated for so many thousands of years under the heated limestone of the mountain in the labyrinths, passages, and blind ways of the hypogeum. Romphius breathed hard and perspired in streams. The impassable Evandale turned hot and felt a moisture on his temples. As for the Greek, the fiery wind of the desert had long since dried him up, and he perspired no more than would a mummy. The passage led directly to the centre of the chain, following a vein of limestone of remarkable fineness and purity. At the end of the passageway, a stone door, sealed as the other had been with a clay seal and surmounted by a winged globe proved that the tomb had not been violated and pointed to the existence of another passageway sunk deeper still into the mountain the heat was now so intense that the young nobleman threw off his white coat and the doctor his black one these were soon followed by their vests and shirts argyropoulos seeing that they were breathing with difficulty whispered a few words to the fellah, who ran back to the entrance and brought two large sponges filled with fresh water, which the Greek advised the two travellers to place on their mouths so that they might breathe the fresher air through the humid pores, as is done in Russian baths when the steam heat is raised to excess. The door was attacked and soon gave way. A steep staircase cut in the living rock was then seen descending. Against a green background, edged with a blue line, were arranged on either side of the passageway processions of symbolical statues, 
the colours of which were as bright and fresh as if the artist's brush had laid them on the day before. They would show for a second in the light of the torches, then vanish in the shadow like the phantoms of a dream. Below these narrow frescoes, lines of hieroglyphs, written perpendicularly like Chinese writing, and separated by hollow lines, excited the erudite by the sacred mystery of their outlines. Along that portion of the walls, which was not covered with hieratic signs, a jackal, lying on its belly with outstretched paws and pointed ears, and a kneeling figure wearing a mitre, its hand stretched upon a circle, seemed to stand as sentries on either side of the door, the lintel of which was ornamented with two panels placed side by side, in which were figured two women wearing close-fitting gowns, and extending their feathered arms like wings. "'Look here,' said the doctor, taking breath when he reached the foot of the staircase, and when he saw that the excavation sank deeper and deeper still. "'Are we going down to the centre of the earth? The heat is increasing to such a degree that we cannot be far from the sojourn of the damned.' no doubt answered lord evandale they followed the vein of limestone which sinks in accordance with the law of geological undulations another very steep passage came after the steps the walls were lower covered with paintings in which could be made out a series of allegorical scenes explained no doubt by the hieroglyphs inscribed below these frieze ran along the passage and below it were small figures worshipping sacred scarabaei and the azure-coloured symbolical serpent as he reached the end of the passage the fellow who carried the torch threw himself back abruptly for the path was suddenly interrupted by the mouth of a square well yawning black at the surface of the ground there is a well master said the fellow addressing himself to argyropoulos what am i to do the greek took the torch shook it to make it blaze up and threw it into the small mouth of the well bending cautiously over the opening the torch fell twisting and hissing soon a dull sound was heard followed by a burst of sparks and a cloud of smoke then the flame burned up bright and clear and the opening of the well shone in the shadow like the bloodshot eye of a cyclops most ingenious said the young nobleman this labyrinth interrupted by oubliettes must have cooled the zeal of robbers and scholars not at all replied the doctor those seek gold these truth which are the two most precious things in the world bring the knotted rope cried argyropoulos to the arabs we shall explore and sound the walls of the well for the passage no doubt runs far beyond it eight or ten men hang on to the rope the end of which was let fall into the well. With the agility of a monkey, or of an athlete, Argyropoulos caught hold of the swinging rope, and let himself down some fifteen feet, holding on with his hands and striking with his heels the walls of the well. Wherever he struck the rock, it gave out a dead, dull sound. Then Argyropoulos let himself fall to the bottom of the well, and struck the ground with the hilt of his kanjar but the compact rock did not resound. Lord Evandale and the doctor, burning with eager curiosity, bent over the edge at the risk of falling in headlong, and watched with intense interest the search undertaken by the Greek. "'Hold hard!' cried he at last, annoyed at finding nothing, and he seized the rope with his two hands to ascend. 
the shadow of argyropoulos lighted from below by the torch which was still burning at the bottom of the well was projected against the ceiling and cast on it a silhouette like that of a monstrous bird his sunburnt face expressed the liveliest disappointment and under his moustache he was biting his lips there is not a trace of a passage he cried and yet the excavation cannot stop here unless said Ramphius, the egyptian who ordered this tomb died in some distant gnome on a voyage or in battle the work being then abandoned as is known to have been the case occasionally let us hope that by dint of searching we shall find some secret issue returned lord evandale otherwise we shall try to drive a transverse shaft through the mountain those confounded egyptians were clever indeed at concealing the entrances to their tombs always trying to find out some ways of putting poor people off the track one would think that they laughed in anticipation at the disappointment of searchers grumbled argyropoulos drawing to the edge of the well the greek cast a glance as piercing as that of a night-bird upon the wall of the little chamber which formed the upper portion of the well he saw nothing but the ordinary characters of psychostasia osiris the judge seated on his throne in the regulation attitude holding the crook in the one hand the whip in the other and the goddesses of justice and truth leading the spirit of the dead to the tribunal of amenti suddenly he seemed to be struck with a new idea and turned sharply around his long experience as an excavator recalled to him a somewhat analogous case in addition the desire of earning the thousand guineas of his lordship spurred up his faculties he took a pickaxe from the hands of a fellah and began walking backwards to strike sharply right and left on the surface of the rock often at the risk of damaging some of the hieroglyphs or of breaking the beak or the wing sheath of the sacred hog or the scarabaeus the wall thus questioned at last answered the hammer and sounded hollow an exclamation of triumph broke from the greek and his eyes flashed the doctor and the nobleman clapped their hands dig here said argyropoulos who had recovered his coolness to his men an opening large enough to allow a man to pass through was made a gallery running within the mountain around the obstacle which the well offered to the profane led to a square hall the blue vault of which rested upon four massive pillars ornamented by the red-skinned white-garmented figures which so often show in egyptian frescoes the full bust and the head in profile this hall opened into another the vault of which was somewhat higher and supported by two pillars only various scenes the mystic bark the bull apis bearing the mummy towards the regions of the west the judgment of the soul and the weighing of the deeds of the dead in the supreme scales the offerings to the funeral divinities adorned the pillars and the hall they were carved in flat low relief with sharp outline but the painter's brush had not completed the work of the chisel by the care and delicacy of the work might be judged the importance of the personage whose tomb it had been sought to conceal from the knowledge of men after having spent a few moments in examining these carvings which were in the purest manner of the fine egyptian style of the classical age the explorers perceived that there was no issue from the hall and that they had reached a sort of blind place the air was becoming somewhat rarefied the torches burnt with difficulty and further augmented the heat of the atmosphere while the smoke formed a dense pall 
the greek gave himself to the devil but that did no good again the walls were sounded without any result the mountain thick and compact gave back but a dead sound there was no trace of a door of a passage or of any sort of opening the young nobleman was plainly discouraged and the doctor let fall his arms by his side argyropoulos who feared losing his thousand guineas exhibited the fiercest despair however the party was compelled to retreat for the heat had become absolutely suffocating they returned to the outer hall and there the greek who could not make up his mind to see his golden dream vanish in smoke examined with the most minute attention the shafts of the pillars to make certain that they did not conceal some artifice that they did not mask some trap which might be discovered by displacing them for in his despair he mingled the realism of egyptian architecture with the chimerical constructions of the arab tales the pillars cut out of the mountain itself in the centre of the hollowed mass formed part of it and it would have been necessary to employ gunpowder to break them down all hope was gone nevertheless said romphius this labyrinth was not dug for nothing somewhere or another there must be a passage like the one which goes around the well no doubt the dead man was afraid of being disturbed by importunate persons and he had himself carefully concealed but with patience and perseverance you can get anywhere perhaps a slab carefully concealed the joint of which cannot be seen owing to the dust scattered over the ground covers some descent which leads directly or indirectly to the funeral hall you are right doctor said evandale those accursed egyptians jointed stones as closely as the hinges of an english trap let us go on looking the doctor's idea struck the greek as sound and he made his fellahs walk about every part and corner of the hall tapping the ground at last not far from the third pillar a dull resonance struck on the practised ear of the greek he threw himself on his knees to examine the spot brushing away with the ragged burnous one of his arabs had thrown him the impalpable dust of thirty-five centuries a black narrow sharp line showed and carefully followed out marked out on the ground an oblong slab did i not tell you cried the enthusiastic doctor that the passage could not end in this way i am really troubled said lord evandale in his quaint phlegmatic british fashion at disturbing the last sleep of the poor unknown body which did expect to rest in peace until the end of the world the dweller below would willingly dispense with our visit the more so that the third party is lacking to make the presentation formal replied the doctor but do not be anxious my lord i have lived long enough in the days of the pharaohs to present you to the illustrious personage who inhabits this subterranean passage crowbars were applied to the narrow fissure and after a short time the stone moved and was raised a staircase with high steep steps sinking into darkness awaited the impatient travellers who rushed down pell-mell a sloping gallery painted on both walls with figures and hieroglyphs came next then at the end of the gallery some more steps leading to a short corridor a sort of vestibule to a hall in the same style as the first one but larger and upborne by six pillars cut out of the living rock the ornamentation was richer and the usual motives of funeral paintings were multiplied in a yellow background to the right and to the left opened in the rock two small crypts or chambers filled with funeral statuettes of enameled ware bronze and sycamore wood 
we are in the antechamber of the hall where the sarcophagus is bound to be cried romphius his clear grey eyes flashing with joy from below his spectacles which he had pushed back over his forehead up to the present said lord evandale the greek has kept his word we are the first living men who have penetrated so far since the dead whoever he may be was left with eternity and the unknown in this tomb oh he must be some great personage replied the doctor a king or a king's son at the very least i shall tell you later when i have deciphered his cartouche but first let us enter this hall the finest the most important which the egyptians called the golden hall lord evandale walked ahead a few steps before the less agile scholar though perhaps the latter deferentially wished to leave the pleasure of the discovery to the young nobleman as he was about to step across the threshold lord evandale bent forward as if something unexpected had struck him though accustomed not to manifest his emotions he was unable to repress a prolonged and thoroughly british oh on the fine grey powder which covered the ground showed very distinctly with the imprint of the toes and the great bone of the heel the shape of a human foot the foot of the last priest or the last friend who had withdrawn fifteen hundred years before christ after having paid the last honours to the dead the dust which in egypt is as eternal as granite had moulded the print and preserved it for more than thirty centuries just as the hardened diluvian mud has preserved the tracks of the animals which last traversed it see said evandale to romphius that human footprint which is directed towards the exit from the hypogeum in what narrow passage of the libyan chain rests the mummified body that made it who knows replied the scholar in any case that light print which a breath could have blown away has lasted longer than empires than religions and monuments believed eternal the noble dust of alexander was used perhaps to stop a bunghole as hamlet says but the footprint of this unknown egyptian remains on the threshold of a tomb urged by a curiosity which did not allow them much time for recollection the nobleman and the doctor entered the hall taking care nevertheless not to efface the wondrous footprint on entering the impassable evandale felt a strange emotion it seemed to him as shakespeare says that the time was out of joint the feeling of modern life vanished he forgot great britain and his name inscribed on the rolls of the peerage his seat in lincolnshire his mansion in the west end hyde park piccadilly the queen's drawing-room the yacht squadron and all that constituted his english existence an invisible hand had turned upside down the sun-glass of eternity and the centuries which had fallen one by one like the hours in the solitude of the night were falling once more history was as if it were not moses was living pharaoh was reigning and he lord evandale felt embarrassed because he did not wear his beard in ringlets and had not an enamelled neckplate and a narrow vestment wrinkling in folds upon his hips the only suitable dress in which to be presented to a royal mummy a sort of religious horror filled him although there was nothing sinister about the place as he violated this palace of death so carefully protected against profanation his attempt seemed to him impious and sacrilegious and he said to himself suppose this pharaoh were to rise on his couch and strike me with his sceptre for one moment he thought of letting fall the shroud half lifted from the body of this antique dead civilization but the doctor carried away by scientific enthusiasm 
and not a prey to such thoughts, shouted in a loud voice, My lord, my lord, the sarcophagus is intact. These words recalled Lord Evandale to reality. By swift projection of his thought, he traversed the thirty-five hundred years which he had gone back in his reverie, and he answered, Indeed, dear doctor, intact. Oh, unexpected luck! Oh, marvellous chance! Oh, wondrous find! continued the doctor, in the excitement of a scholarly joy. Argyropoulos, on beholding the doctor's enthusiasm, felt a pang of remorse, the only kind of remorse that he could feel, at not having asked more than twenty-five thousand francs. I was a fool, he said to himself. This shall not happen again. That nobleman has robbed me. In order to enable the strangers to enjoy the beauty of the spectacle, the fellahs had lighted all their torches. The sight was indeed strange and magnificent. The galleries and halls which led to the sarcophagus hall were flat-sealed and not more than eight or ten feet high, but the sanctuary, the one to which all these labyrinths led, was of much greater proportions. Lord Evandale and Dr. Romphius remained dumb with admiration, although they were already familiar with the funereal splendours of Egyptian art. Thus lighted up, the golden hall flamed, and for the first time, perhaps, the colours of the paintings shone in all their brilliancy. Red and blue, green and white, of virginal purity, brilliantly fresh and amazingly clear, stood out from the golden background of the figures and hieroglyphs, and attracted the eye before the subjects which they formed could be discerned. At first glance it looked like a vast tapestry of the richest stuffs. The vault, some thirty feet high, formed a sort of azure valerium, bordered with long yellow palm-leaves. On the walls the symbolical globe spread its mighty wings, and the royal cartouches showed around. Further on, Isis and Nephthys waved their arms furnished with feathers like wings. The Uraeus swelled its blue throat, the Scarabaeus unfolded its wings, the animal-headed gods pricked up their jackal ears, sharpened their hawk's beaks, wrinkled their baboon faces, and drew into their shoulders their vulture or serpent necks as if they were endowed with life. Mystical consecrated boats, baris, passed by on their sledges drawn by figures in attitudes of sadness, with angular gestures, or propelled by half-naked oarsmen, they flowed upon symbolical undulating waves. Mourners kneeling, their hand placed on their blue hair in token of grief, turned towards the catafalques, while shaven priests, leopard skin on shoulder, burned perfumes in a spatula terminating in a hand bearing a cap under the nose of the godlike dead. Other personages offered to the funeral jenny lotus in bloom or in bud, bulbous plants, birds, pieces of antelope, and vases of liquor. Had Cephalus figures of justice brought souls before Osiris, whose arms were set in inflexible contour, and who was assisted by the forty-two judges of Amenti, seated in two rows, and bearing an ostrich plume on their heads, the forms of which were borrowed from every realm of zoology. All these figures, drawn in hollowed lines in the limestone, and painted in the brightest colours, were endowed with that motionless life, that frozen motion, that mysterious intensity of Egyptian art, which was hemmed in by the priestly rule, and which resembles a gagged man trying to utter his secret. In the centre of the hall rose, massive and splendid, the sarcophagus, cut out of a solid block of black basalt, 
enclosed by a cover of the same material carved in the shape of an ark the four sides of the funeral monolith were covered with figures and hieroglyphs as carefully engraved as the intaglio of a gem although the egyptians did not know the use of iron and the grain of basalt is hard enough to blunt the best tempered steel imagination loses itself when it tries to discover the process by which that marvellous people wrought on porphyry and granite as with a style on wax tablets at the angles of the sarcophagus were set four vases of oriental alabaster of most elegant and perfect outline the carved covers of which represented the man's head of amset the monkey head of happy the jackal head of tuamutef and the hawk head of kebuxnauf the vases contained the viscerae of the mummy enclosed in the sarcophagus at the head of the tomb an effigy of osiris with plaited beard seemed to watch over the dead two coloured statues of women stood right and left of the tomb supporting with one hand a square box on their head and holding in the other a vase for ablutions which they rested on their hip the one was dressed in a simple wide skirt clinging to the hips and held up by crossed braces the other more richly costumed was wrapped in a sort of narrow shift covered with scales alternately red and green by the side of the first there were three water jars originally filled with nile water which as it evaporated had left its mud and a plate holding some alimentary paste now dried up by the side of the second two small ships like the model ships made in seaports which were produced accurately the one the minutest details of the boats destined to bear the bodies from diospolis to memnonia the other the symbolical boat in which the soul is carried to the regions of the west nothing was forgotten neither the masts nor the rudder formed of one long sweep nor the pilot nor the oarsmen nor the mummy surrounded by mourners and lying under their shrine on the bed with feet formed of lion's claws nor the allegorical figures of the funeral divinities fulfilling their sacred functions both of the boats and the figures were painted in brilliant colours and on the two sides of the prow beak-like as the poop showed the great osiris's eye made longer still by the use of antimony the bones and skull of an ox scattered here and there showed that a victim had been offered up as a scapegoat to the fate which might have disturbed the repose of the dead coffers painted and bedizened with hieroglyphs were placed on the tomb reed tables yet bore the final offerings nothing had been touched in this palace of death since the day when the mummy in its cartonnage and its two coffins had been placed upon its basalt couch the worm of the sepulchre which can find a way through the closest beers had itself retreated driven back by the bitter scent of the bitumen and the aromatic essences End of the prologue part two